Today's episode is brought to you by DEI Navigator from the Diversity Movement. Here's the deal. More than 80% of organizations have already taken action on diversity, equity, and inclusion. But if you're one of the people who's suddenly in charge of leading those DEI efforts, there's a good chance you're feeling overwhelmed, confused, and alone. That's why the diversity movement created DEI Navigator. This new monthly membership service is designed exclusively for small to medium-sized businesses who are committed to DEI action and results. It's everything you need all in one place. Access to proven business leaders and certified diversity executives, expert curated content, how-to guides, training, and a community of peers sharing their ideas and lessons learned. All at a fraction of the cost of hiring a full-service DEI consultancy. For more information, head on over to thediversitymovement.com slash AU. That's thediversitymovement.com slash AU. All right, let's get to the show. To solve true industry problems, you know, it, it takes more than just passion. It really does, unfortunately, is that you have to have the resources, you have to get the people in place, and these things take time. If we create that sort of cycle of you win, I win, then we invest in the next generation, we begin to slowly close this uh, racial wealth gap. Welcome to Equity Raise, leveling the landscape for diverse founders and their VCs. Each year, less than 3% of venture capital funding is invested in startups led by founders of color and women. I am your host, Naya Fela Powell, the founder and CEO of Utopia Spa and Global Wellness. As a black woman who has experienced the headwinds, ups and the downs of fundraising, I'm excited to share these conversations with you. Today, we're joined by Malik McRae, founder and CEO of Simply Works, which launches winning Amazon advertising campaigns in one click. Malik is not only underrepresented in terms of race as a black man, but he's also underrepresented in terms of age, having just graduated from NC State University in 2019. He's already successfully found funding with some trials and tribulations along the way. And later we'll hear from one of the Simply Works investors, Shyla Nieves-Bernie, the general partner at Zane Venture Fund. But let's start with Malik's story. He met his co-founders at NC State and they started building something that they felt was going to be big. At the time, what I was working on was these uh, biodegradable tech accessories. You know, So we designed these uh, phone cases and, and, and gadgets uh, that were made out of bioplastics and coconut palm wood. And, you know, so I actually worked on that for the, uh, with my current business partner um, for the first time. And, um, you know, so we took that to prototype. Uh, we we're getting ready to pull the trigger, but ended up, you know, holding back on it. But that was the first introduction to, OK, what's it look like to bring idea to product? And, um, you know, so I learned a lot in that experience. Uh, you know, graduated from uh, NC State in 2019. Um, and I actually took some of those experiences, you know, developing our first product and leveraged them to launch a Amazon business. Mm-hmm. And in that Amazon business, I was helping small businesses uh, resell their products on the Amazon marketplace. At the time, most businesses, they didn't want anything to do with digital. You know, they were like, I'll let you handle it. Just let me know uh, what you need and we'll, we'll, we'll get it moving from there. And, um, you know, so I was working on that for about a year start to see some growing challenges in across the clients that we were serving and said, okay, what I'm doing right now won't scale. And there's a growing and emerging problem that a lot of the clients I'm working with don't even fully realize yet. And then COVID hit and it really accelerated the need for what we're building here at Simply Works. Absolutely. So I love to hear that kind of founder journey. So mm-hmm. you started a startup and then realized that there were some gaps, challenges and issues mm-hmm. and kind of pivoted. Right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And so COVID had a lot to do with your pivot. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. I can relate to that. <laughs> I can relate to that. And so tell us a little bit more about, you know, what have been some of the biggest hurdles that you've had to overcome mm-hmm. as a founder of color? Right. So great question. Um, you know, and, you know, start, I, I think that there's similar challenges for, you know, founders of color, but also, you know, for, um, you know, white founders as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I faced some of those those challenges as well. You know, so one, you're dealing with 
imposter syndrome. You know, am I the right person to be solving this business problem? What qualifies me to solve this business problem? And really believe in that you're the right person to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's where I originally started. Um, you know, another big challenge that that I came to learn was, okay, it's one thing to have an idea and even have a, you know, an innovative solution to it, but you also have to learn how to inspire the people around you to be committed to that same Absolutely. vision. And that's, and it's not easy to do, you know, and um, it wasn't just the the employees and the work, the people that we're working with, but also the people around you that are helping you, um, you know, try to, to get to that next stage. They have to believe in, uh, you know, the vision and what you're building. You know, those were two of the major challenges. Yeah, I'd love mm-hmm. to um, kind of dive a little deeper on that. Two-part question. You said, one, the imposter syndrome and feeling mm-hmm. that you are qualified mm-hmm. to like really pull this vision forward and pull it off, right? So tell us a little bit about what you believe and what you know that qualifies you to really be the founder and CEO of Simply Works. And then we'd like to learn a little bit about your team because it's really hard Mm. to have a team, a sticky team, when you don't have a lot of resources, right? So (laughs) let's let's have you kind of dig into both of those questions. Absolutely. You know, so uh, to your first question there, what makes us qualified? And it was actually looked externally as as opposed to internally to start, you know, I said, okay, what exists out there already and what made them qualified to solve the problem Mm -hmm. and how well are they solving the problem right now? And who's they? That's, you know, in the general sense, that's the competition are the existing solutions, you know, and are, is their solution, are customers resonating with, that solution. Mm -hmm. And that was what led me to believe that, okay, to, if I'm qualified or not to solve this, I'll figure that out. I'll learn that along the way. What I do know is that the problem isn't being solved and the the customers that are using the existing solutions Mm -hmm. aren't getting the benefit, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I reframed that imposter syndrome as we'll call it opportunity syndrome. (laughs) I like that. Like a better word. Yeah. You know? And I said, okay, let's give this a go. Yeah. And we began to, to work on that. And, um, you know, your second question was uh, around a team and a little bit more about the team. And you touched on it beautifully. Is, um, <laughs> how do you, you know, inspire, motivate people to like actually do what's needed to make a startup successful yeah. when you're underpaying them? You know, it's not intentionally. Of course, we want to, you know, mm-hmm. get compensate them as what they deserve. But when you're underpaying them and also with so much unknown uncertainty in yeah. what you're building. And, you know, it's a great question. I was actually thinking about it the other day is like, why are people doing what they're doing with, with this? Why are people <laughs> up till 2 a.m. working on things, you know, with no additional pay? And I think what it's the, the job of the founder is, you know, it's not to get caught up in the, the minutia, the details, you know, especially when you're communicating the vision to your team mm-hmm. is because that's all those are all distractions to me. I think into the team is distractions. Yeah. How can you create an overarching vision of this direction, you know, and this, this is the end goal. This is the outcome. Look at what we're doing for our clients. Look at how we're impacting our clients and how the faces and, um, you know, that they're making when, when we are able to deliver results for them. So a couple of things came to mind. So I am a graduate of Clark Atlanta university and our Mm. model was find a way or make one. Mm. So that's Mm. what entrepreneurs do. And I love that you had the confidence. You were like, Hey, I just look to see what other people are doing and where their gaps are. Mm. So that optimism and that confidence are very important in terms of leadership. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you have people that are following you and working for your organization. Do you have a co-founder? I do. Okay. Three co-founders. Okay. Excellent. Mm -hmm. How did you find them? I actually through NC State. Okay. Um, so my uh, a co-founder, Keith, we worked on our, our first startup together as sophomores at uh, the Biodegradable Tech Accessories. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I guess, you know, Destiny brought us together. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't the intention, but it ended up working out and we ended up building this together. I'm um, in my second co-founder, Uday. How we met was actually within the same ecosystem. We were um, at a, you know, predominantly white institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and this this guy, he's six foot six, you know, black guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So when we see each other at the events, we're like, wait, hey, I, I know you. We're only, you know, five black guys at this event, you know. And um, I actually found out later on in that in that uh, experience that he was a developer. And okay. um, someone referred me to him. I was like, oh, I, I know Uday. And, um, you know, we had a business problem from a client, you know, it was like, we need this solved in 72 hours. You know, they're 
the huge client, enterprise grade. Can we do it in 72 hours? Mm-hmm. And he's like, can't be done. Impossible. No way. We can't do it. I'm like, I already told him we can do it. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's how entrepreneurs exactly. roll. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He's like, Blake, you're crazy. This can't be done. And he was able to, he grabbed a friend and he was able to actually execute that solution, wow. you know, a form of it in that 72 hours, a couple overnights. And, um, you know, he said, wait a second, we actually built something really cool here yeah. in just three days. Yeah. Imagine if we, you know, continue to build on that. Absolutely. And we, and we started working from there. That is so cool. And it just gets me like all excited because I think you have to be that crazy mm-hmm. to be a successful entrepreneur because mm. to be a disruptor, you're going against the grain. You're doing things that normal people would not do. So you have to think way outside the box. So I'm totally with you on that. Somebody told me yesterday about something I probably couldn't do. I was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it until, we'll it yeah, until, mm-hmm. until there's mm-hmm. no other way to approach this, but then I'll just have learned a lot if it doesn't work. So right. it's never a loss if mm-hmm. we learn, right? Mm-hmm. So break it down for us. How exactly does Simply Works work? Simply. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, primarily who we serve are, are small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, what we found was that, you know, the traditional agency model, you would have to have an agency for your, your SEO. You have to have an agency for your strategy. You have to have an agency for your advertising. Mm-hmm. And there's thousands of these agencies and small businesses and you're a founder, so you understand Absolutely. it. I have a million and five things to do. I don't have time to go audit, you know, 20 different agencies and figure out if their services are going to work for me. And most times they have a really slick salesman at the front and behind the scenes, it may not actually be as described. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so what we said is, okay, can we develop a engine or a system that's accessible, much lower risk, meaning you don't have to spend thousands of dollars per month to try and learn. You touched on it earlier, but at worst, I'm going to learn. Yeah. And can we develop a reliable solution that's going to get results? Yeah. And, you know, so when, when it started, we said, okay, what if this could just be three steps? You know, you were able to come on. I mean, we focused on Amazon and e-commerce, um, but if you're able to come on Amazon, you didn't have to learn it, didn't have to have experience, didn't have to hire people, and you're able to get results in just a few minutes or mm-hmm. at least begin down that journey in mm-hmm. just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, and it started at three steps, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and have another crazy product guy. He said, can we do this in one click? Oh, wow. <laughs> I was it's like, absolutely. I don't yeah. see why not. Yeah. And so we started to work on that one-click solution, oh. and that's essentially how we help businesses. We launched their advertising in the yeah. click of a button, yeah. requiring no additional overhead or a, a, a pre-existing experience. So now as a business owner, you can compete in a competitive marketplace from day one. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is get your products there. That is so exciting to hear. Mm-hmm. I know you said you work with smaller to medium-sized businesses. Mm-hmm. Typically... What's the size of the businesses that you're working with? And typically, what's the budget? Because you're going to have a lot of people listening to this, and like me, and like, oh, I might need to be one of your customers. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, a great, it's a great question. You know, so the size of the company, we work with solo founders. Uh, we had a company who was actually our very first customer. The brand was Pinafore, Bags by Pinafore. And so they came in, they had a product idea. They were able to bring it to, to Amazon. It was just a husband and wife. Mm. You know, they said, I, my goal is just to sell a few of these bags a month, mm-hmm. you know, and we're like, absolutely, we can help you sell a few. And we got them on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Within months, they're selling thousands wow. of bags per month and actually sold their company. This still a team of two for several hundred thousand dollars, a team of two mm. within less than two years. Okay. You know, and it's about 16 months is, uh, is is what it took them to do that. But that was a team of two. Yeah. We can do all the way down to small teams, but we can also scale up. Most of our clients are going to be between, you know, 10 and 50 employees, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of uh, have some established product market fit. Mm-hmm. And they're just looking to be, um, you know, competitive online. Mm-hmm. Budgets, they can range. Typically, mm-hmm. For, you know, we'd recommend a $25 to $50 for selling e-commerce products mm-hmm. per day mm-hmm. um, in advertising spend. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's great. So what does success look like to you? What does it mean to you? What does it look like to you? Like success to me isn't necessarily like a static, you know, like success, boom. You know, I I, I see it kind of as like a, a process and an, an outcome, you know. Mm-hmm. So setting a goal and the steps to reach that goal and achieve it, once you achieve it, I consider it success. Mm-hmm. And why I say it that way is because, you know, people say the success is in a journey and I get that. Mm-hmm. But are you doing the things that are, are going to be that are going to translate to success mm-hmm. where you can make that claim that, hey, you know, I'm successful in this. Right. 
Right. And, and, and we lie to ourselves and say that I did everything I could. And we know we didn't. We know right. we didn't. But it's right. what was the goal that you set? You know, did you accomplish that goal? And even if you had to reframe that goal, did you do the activities over that period of time to accomplish that thing? So you could have success could be a, pretty much something happening every day. Right. Exactly. From what I hear you saying. I, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. that. I'm a practitioner of gratitude. And so mm. when you practice daily gratitude, you will find success in every day. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And we have to remember our why and celebrate our wins mm-hmm. as entrepreneurs because this is like one of the hardest things we'll ever do, right? right, right. So tell me about the time that you thought about throwing in the towel. Uh, it was actually pre-COVID, right before COVID. It was 2019, um, you know, and um, I was working on uh, business, had a few bad things happen to me in succession of like a few weeks, but they were like very critical. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, it was our, it had to work out perfectly for it to work mm-hmm. and it did the exact opposite. Nothing went well, you know, in that period of time, you know, we were down to $1.42, you know, in our account and oh, wow. uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty tough. It yeah. was pretty tough and my inventory was late. Nothing was going our way. Mm-hmm. And I was, as at the point, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay these vendors back. Right. I don't know how I'm going to move the goods to even generate the cash flow in time mm-hmm. to, to, to stay in business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was, that was probably my first true, you know, I guess breakdown as a founder was like, man, this must be what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this must be what failure looks like. And this must be what failure feels like, you know, and fortunately I have a, a strong supportive family. You know, I, I called my mom and, um, you know, and was like, hey, I think this might be the end of it for us. And, you know, and she she corrected that and she let me get it out. And she's like, no, it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. We're going to figure this out. Yeah. You know, within a, a couple of days, we had a solution. We were mm-hmm. able to extend the business, yeah. but it continued to extend it. And, yeah. and, and we still exist today. That is so powerful <laughs> because really it, I and I say this all the time. I would not be who I am if someone didn't speak life mm-hmm, right. into me. So I don't want to get emotional, mm-hmm. but it's like so powerful. So mm-hmm. I'm so glad your mom, I'm so glad you called her. Right. Didn't want to, trust <laughs> I'm so me. Glad it was, you called a lot her. of her money was at risk. So, <laughs> so she was invested. She right. was invested, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she was also invested because you're mm-hmm. her son and then she believes Absolutely. in you, right? Absolutely. So, so I'm so glad. But that's the reality of being an entrepreneur and we all go through it. Mm-hmm. And so the positive is your account was still in the positive. A dollar, what, 47 cents? Okay. <laughs> Still in business, technically. <laughs> I love it. So um, tell us a little bit about this. I think this is a good a good segue. So obviously capital, we know that we need capital in order to have thriving businesses. Mm-hmm. And we know that that is really a challenge for Black founders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so knowing that less than 3% of venture capital goes to diverse founders and founders of color. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about the decision point when you decided that it was time to fundraise, you know, what mm. went into that decision and how did you make that, that call? So when we started to fundraise, um, you know, I was fresh out of college, you know, so I, there was no net worth, you know, I mm-hmm. had nothing but a degree and mm-hmm. whatever that's Impressive. worth, you know, we'll, right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But one of the things it was actually in conversations with funders is they said, you can't solve this problem without resources. You know, there's yeah. no way. And I yeah. was, and, uh, yeah, we, we can do it, you know, but when you start to really see, okay, to solve true industry problems, you know, it, it takes more than just passion. It really mm-hmm. does, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is that you have to have the resources, you have to get the people in place, and these things take time. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, and someone said, uh, whatever your projection is, or however long it's going to take, double it. And honestly, depending on your team, triple it, mm-hmm. you know, because it's going to take way longer. Mm-hmm. And when I start to see that take place, oh, we'll be at market in 30 days, 60 days, we'll be profitable in six total delusion syndrome, because that was not, <laughs> not the case at all. Yeah, it's ambitious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You know, I started to realize that, okay, in order to, to get this done, I need to start thinking about, you know, what is what is needed to really fund the business and really start thinking about uh, what are the costs and, you know, what are the potential costs or the ongoing costs that we'll need. And a lot of that was in talent and people. And that's really where we started to make the decision. Hey, we have to get something in here so we can get more hands so we can actually build the business instead of working within it. Okay. So what did it feel like uh, to start pitching, especially, and I've pitched, right? So I know what it feels like, mm-hmm. but what did it feel like for you, especially being like right out of college? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very impressive that you've been able to raise um, at the level in which you have uh, with your startup. What did it feel like when you just started that process um, initially, especially as a black founder? Right. 
it was honestly exciting. It felt, it felt very real, you know, and it, and it was, um, we, I wasn't getting laughed out the room, you know, so, <laughs> so I guess it was like, okay, um, maybe, you know, there's something They're here, listening. you know, yeah. <laughs> there's a funny thing someone said to me in the early startup ideas. It was like, um, you know, I'll never tell anyone their idea sucks. And I was like, so you're telling me my idea sucks <laughs> is essentially what that was. Uh-huh. But that was uh, when we started to make the initial pitch. So like, okay, there's a, there's something here. I don't think you guys have it at all, but the audience was, was listening, mm-hmm. you know, and um, that, that p- part of it felt exciting. I underestimated what it would take to actually get it done. Mm-hmm. Again, thought three months. Mm-hmm. Investors say, if you do it in three months, I'll fly you anywhere in the world. For wow. A week. Wow. I didn't get it done in three months. Okay. So trust me, I didn't go on that <laughs> trip. <laughs> but it was it was that that level of excitement that kind of pushed me, uh, you know, to to continue trying, continue to build a network, continue to meet people and find out where the funding sources were. Let's take a quick break. While you know me as the host of the Equity Raise podcast, I'm also the founder and CEO of Utopia Spa and Global Wellness. As a founder and former corporate professional, I truly understand how stressed we are. With 72% of entrepreneurs suffering with mental health challenges, I knew that we needed to do something in creating a digital wellness platform that's addressing global burnout and the future of work and wellness. Utopia Spa and Global Wellness offers live and on-demand virtual classes, such as mindfulness, yoga, Pilates, cultural movement, wellness coaching, workshops, and retreats. You see, we're helping people show up as their healthiest and happiest selves daily. Also helping employers achieve their talent, retention, recruitment, and productivity goals. Our multicultural holistic approach to wellness celebrates mindful diversity, inclusion, and belonging. To learn how you can get started today, head on over to utopiasgw.com. Again, utopiasgw.com. Now let's get back to the show. All right. I think that that brings us to a wonderful segue. So we're very fortunate to have one of your investors here with us today. We have Shyla Nivez. Bernie. And she's here from Atlanta, one of the hottest investors in Atlanta. I have received multiple referrals to uh, to Shyla. And so we'll go ahead and bring you into the conversation. And we'd love to hear, how did you get connected to Shyla? So it actually came through a introduction, you know, uh, to the fund. It was an investor of ours, uh, Karen Robinson. She's Atlanta-based. Um, and she had heard about the fund and some of the uh, traction that they were making. You know, so she made an introduction to one of the uh, partners there in Sig Mosley. So I grabbed a coffee with him while I was in town. And then I actually asked him, um, you know, uh, why is it, do you think, from the VC perspective that, you know, uh, black founders are, are underfunded or are not necessarily seeing the, um, you know, the right uh, funding to really accelerate their, their growth? And he said something that was interesting to me that, you know, kind of changed my perspective about it a little bit. You know, he said, look, we want to, you know, but those opportunities don't always, you know, fall into the pipeline. Mm. And, you know, if there's X amount of companies, those those companies may not ever, we may never see them. Mm. And we're only going to fund a handful of companies. Right. And so we had that conversation. Um, at the time, I didn't know he was actually partnered with Shyla, you know, and eventually the, the conversation progressed. He said, I have someone I want you to meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Shyla was like, and she's in Atlanta. We're here in North Carolina. And um, I believe it was Greensboro. She said, can you come up to Greensboro tomorrow? And I'm there with my co-founder. I was like, can we come up to Greensboro tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) Cleared all of our meetings, drove down to meet her. And, um, you know, and that was the official meeting. Beautiful, beautiful. So we'd love to bring you in, Shyla, into the conversation um, as the general partner of Zane Venture Fund. And so when you first met Malik, what was your first impression of him as a startup founder? Sure. So Malik doesn't remember this because we met before then. And I yeah. and the woman that he mentioned is also um, a volunteer like me with Thai Angels. And so I had been, I, were you part of the, the Thai Access program or one of the, you were part of one of the events that they, that's know, right. Yeah. The Thai Access, that's right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so met him on one of their pitch practices. And, you know, I'll be very honest. I, I said that I, I gave him some feedback and was like, you know, there are some things that you're going to need to um, work on. And so, and I don't remember what those were because we were like in rapid fire, one founder after the other. 
Um, but I knew he had something. And, and one thing that he has expressed today, he has confidence, right? He was very bold about what he was going <laughs> to do about his journey in three to six months. And so those things are attractive to me as an investor because it mm-hmm. takes someone with a whole lot of fortitude to build a company from the ground up because you're going to face all these rejections. Absolutely. And I saw that he had that, right? And that there was something. And so then fast forward, you know, I have a bit of FOMO when I when I talk to founders and next thing I know, like all of my friends are like investing in them. And so Karen and I were at another date and she said, I'm headed to North Carolina tomorrow. And I'm like, well, we're headed next week. And she was headed to see Malik. So Malik had kind of his name simply works had kind of gotten around with the with this particular angel group. And we're all a part of it. And he had had that conversation with Sig and Sig, of course, if he talks to a founder, you know, I'm going to look a, a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. And so it was all those different things that just came together um, very organically. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's how we got here with um, Malik today and, 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 and incredibly impressed with what he's doing um, with Simply Works. Beautiful. And one thing we hear a lot as founders is investors are motivated by FOMO. So you just confirmed that. <laughs> sorry, I got caught up and I was like, I'm not going to let them get all in here and I'm over here. Malik, when you walked away from that conversation, do you remember how you felt that particular moment that, that Shiloh's referring to? In, in the essence, it didn't really feel real, you know, okay. and we've, because uh, a lot of the uh, rejections are long, you know, ah, I'm interested and, in, you know, and she was like, okay, we're going to invest. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. It was very, it was very abrupt and straightforward. We're like, excellent. I think we were both in, uh, you know, shock at the, at the time. We're like, all right. And we walked out. We're like. Great, we're funded. <laughs> and, that, and, and, and it was just, a, it was surreal in that sense. And, um, you know, it was a great experience. Well and worth it. Yes, absolutely. Um, to date, how much have you raised? Uh, we've raised around 765000 Excellent. And that particular commitment, what number was that commitment? Was that your first commitment, your third commitment? Uh, so we actually raised like kind of in a rolling fashion mm-hmm. over a period of time. We had about uh, nine angels that had invested before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Thai Access came in. And then shortly after, Thai Atlanta came in, which was their larger fund. So uh, Zane was, you know, uh, around 13, 14. Um, but they were the, the the end catalyst and it added a lot of credibility to the raise yeah, uh, to get a VCN. Absolutely. That's amazing. So Shyla, what advice would you give to BIPOC founders that are starting to pitch to angels or VCs? So, you know, I want to say this first. It's hard to pitch mm-hmm. for anybody, whether you're Black, yeah. Latinx, or yeah. a woman. It's, it's just hard to ask yeah. VCs for money, especially um, when you're building something and nobody really gets it. And so then you got to be able to try to explain it to them in 30 seconds, to however long the pitch is. And so for me, it's just, and then you add on, you know, the, the added layer of being a black person or a woman or from some underrepresented group, and it just becomes incredibly tough. And so I always say that, I, you know, for me, it's, I, I'm asking founders to like stick to what you're there for, right? You want to talk about what you're building. You want to talk about how you're going to get to profitability. Those are the words that we like to hear. Look for investors who are investing in your type of company. You will save yourself a whole lot of time. We're industry agnostic, right? But I know I won't invest in biotech or deep tech. I can't help you. I'm not even investing in Web3. And so, but understand, like, there are investors who are investing directly in that space. And so you want to position, position yourself to take off that layer of being with, you know, you're, you're a, you know, in an advertising tech and they only focus on fintech. Like, that's a waste of time. So right. finding those that are... Um, focus on your your particular sector makes it a whole lot easier. But during the actual pitch, it's all about confidence. It's it's all about showing that you are the one that is uniquely qualified to solve whatever this problem is. And here's how you're going to do it. And so that confidence will take you a long way. I've been on pitch competitions where women didn't have their financials and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, don't apologize. You right. didn't have them, state you didn't have them, and I will make sure they're included the next time. And yeah. so it's about building that confidence. And so investors are poking at you just to see if you don't have it. And it's right. something as small as someone saying, well, you didn't have your financials, and then you're going groveling to them. Like, don't like, let's not do that. We, right. you're, you're an adult. You're smart. Having that confidence while you're talking about your company, in my opinion, will take you a long way. Love that. And I've heard some, I've heard some, especially founder friends that have raised um, significant amounts of, of capital. And they said, you know what? You have to remember, a lot of times 
some investors don't know your business or industry that well. So you have to understand, we have to remember we're the expert on our businesses at the same time. So that speaks to exactly what you said about the confidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I, I just encourage that, especially for women who, you know, we, we tend to, you know, apologize way too much um, yeah. when men will make a mistake and keep it moving. Yeah. And so yeah. like, and not saying that I want, I'm asking women to be like men, but just be as, just as confident as they are um, Absolutely. when introducing your business to someone. Shayla, I think it would be great for the listeners to hear how and why you decided to get into the VC space. So my entire career has been focused on breaking barriers, right, to, for marginalized and underfunded groups, whether I work for the American Cancer Society and I was focused on how do we bring, you know, proper cancer care to marginalized communities. Same for the public education system. You know, I work mainly in what they would call inner city schools. How do we bring more funding so that these children have a level playing field of sorts? And so I'm just bringing that same lens to venture capital. You know, there is a $4 trillion, probably more because it was $4 trillion when I started, opportunity of investing into Black, Latinx, and women companies and other underrepresented minorities. That is money that is being left on the table. So I'm just like, okay, I'm going to use that lens to tap into that capital to unleash that type of capital and that unleash that type of genius that's out there. Because Absolutely. that's another thing we don't realize. These people are incredibly smart. These founders who, who we call underrepresented, um, underestimated, but they're the largest group of folks who are actually starting businesses. So for me, it's like that was a huge opportunity that somebody wasn't paying attention to. And how could I set myself up to be uniquely qualified to find those founders at the earliest stage, you know, invest in them, follow, do follow on funding for them until they get to Series A. And so for me, it was my sort of way to get in with that lens, right? Yes, I'm here to make, um, it's, it's about returns to my investors. At the end of the day, I have to, my, it's my fiduciary responsibility to return this fund back to them at what I promised. And so I'm looking for the best deals, but I think we forget some of the best deals are the ones that are untapped. Nobody's yes. looking at them. And so for me, it was like, I just saw an opportunity um, mm -hmm. to invest into this type because I've According to data, no one else was really paying attention to these entrepreneurs, and thereby we were leaving $4 trillion on the table. That's incredible. You know, being a Black female founder, I totally understand, you know, the underrepresentation and the underfunding. And so one of the things that I also am very aware of, it makes us more resourceful. More makes us more creative. And so we're able to stretch that dollar even further and, and, and really make a lot happen with little, which makes us a much better investment um, because we're not used to being able to just waste a whole lot because we haven't had it to waste. So we have to know how to stretch every dollar, <laughs> which, which can equate to ROI, especially when you have investors and VCs that are also playing that role as an advisor and helping to make sure that you're having the right connections and introductions to people that are going to help you make those strategic partnerships that are needed, right? Absolutely. So Shyla, tell us a little bit more about what Zane has done to really increase the diversity of your portfolio of founders. So we have, and this was, I mean, we, we decided this as a team. It's not just me. I am the, the solo GP, but I also have a team of advisors. I have Sig Mosley, who's my venture partner. And so we decided early on how we wanted to split our investments, right? So 80% of our investments will be women, Black, and Latinx founders. And then while reserving 20, there has to be at least one person of color or a woman on a founding team receiving, receiving some sort of equity. And so it can't be your marketing specialist somewhere down the road who is not playing, you know, is, is not getting equity, is not part of the founding team. And so we will reserve 20% of our fund for that. And so for us, we have no issue finding the pipeline is strong of potential opportunities to invest in these, these groups. And so for us, we seek out those. We, we've had, we have our own programming. So we have Zane Access, which is a, an educational readiness studio for entrepreneurs where we bring them in. At the earliest stage, they've not raised 150K or more. We bring them in, give them the technical skills of fundraising, and then they leave and, 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 um, and go out and raise capital. Those companies have raised over $10 million. I don't know if I mentioned that already. $10 million in capital and then have over $8 million in revenue. And so we've proven out that part. If you educate folks, they can go out and raise capital. And, and then you introduce them to the network, surround them with the mentors and that sort of stuff. 
And so, and then we found that as a pipeline for us. We didn't see yeah. it to be a pipeline. We just were like, let's educate everyone so no one has a problem raising capital. And then realize, wait a minute, we got companies coming in here that are looking, that are tech-enabled companies. And so we've made an investment out of one of those companies and look to make more from the Zane Access programming. When's the next cohort for Zane Access? That's a great plug. So we're going to start. The next cohort starts on September 29th. It's an eight-week program, all virtual. We focus on capital readiness. We make introductions to VCs. We don't promise anything. Everything is on the onus of the entrepreneur to take that relationship and build it. Um, So it's an eight-week program. September 29th, we'll start start doing applications um, this week. And so really excited about the cohorts. We're now partnering with financial partners who, once these folks leave our program and they meet a certain, they have a bit of revenue. You know, we have an, an, an organization here called the Community Foundation of Atlanta where we can send them to for potential capital. And so because that's the piece, we can educate folks all day long, but we don't put any capital to work with them. Then are we really helping them at the end of the day? So we're trying to figure out ways to, not only to, to add capital to the education, you've come through the program, you've done the hard work because we do a diligence packet for them. And then here's 25K, here's 5K for your fundraising journey. That's the part right there I've been trying to figure out. How do I partner with institutions who want to get hands into founders? And so we partner with Shopify to be able to do some of that. And we're looking for other partners as well. You know, oftentimes as underrepresented founders, we're over mentored and underfunded. And so I love the linkage that you're creating in terms of making sure that you're introducing them to financing options and investors uh, that I assume are early stage early investors. Stage. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And they're diverse. Seen- well, I'm sorry to cut you off, but mm-hmm. I, I got to drive home that point. Yeah. Not that yeah. I have anything wrong. We, you know, some of our mentors are white men because they want to be able to give back. Mm-hmm. And some of our um, sector experts are white men. Mm-hmm. But most, but the funds who speak, they have to be funds, whether they're white men or whomever, who are focused on uh, investing in underrepresented founders, because that's a disconnect for me to send them to, to someone who's never going to take a look at their company, Absolutely. you know, not because they don't have a great idea, maybe because of, there could be different reasons, but we don't want race and gender to be one of them. So we make sure we choose people or select people who are teaching this program that understand that these founders are coming from, not from the the starting place that everyone else gets to start from. And so we want to bring them to, you know, like level the playing field of sorts is our way of doing that. And so we're only interested in people who are helping us, who want to help us uh, level that playing field. And it is so important to be focused because like you said earlier, similar to the industry, you don't want to spend a lot of time knocking down doors for folks that don't invest invest in your type of company. Right. But even from a standpoint of underrepresented founders and ones that truly understand the barriers that exist and they're looking to support mm-hmm. founders in the in this segment, those are the people that we want to be talking to. So Absolutely. thank you for that. And, and I just want to point two of those people out because it's, it's really special. Brad Feld, who is who wrote the, the book Venture Deals, he founded Stars, mm-hmm. he runs Foundry Group. He has been an instrumental partner, not only showing up and educating the founders, he provides books to them every year. So we give out the Venture Deals books because we still want them to have that technical Bible that they call it for venture, for raising venture capital. And then he supported us financially. And then the other person is Topa Watana from Calumly, who is a founder himself. Yes. Who said, hey, I know what it's like to raise capital yes. as a Black entrepreneur. Yes. I want to support Zane Access because so it's not so hard like it was for me. So he's supported of us through financial um, sponsorships and also coming to speak to the founders. And, and so we have been able to garner those, that caliber of people to work with our entrepreneurs. And so that's, mm-hmm. I'm proud of having them work with us um, to be able to ensure these founders, you know, have the right journey as they begin to source capital. That just brings so much joy to my heart because I look forward to being in a position one day soon to do the same. <laughs> so, so that's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. You know who 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 has me thinking like that is Jewel from Jewel Burks yeah. from Burke Solomon, right? A founder. Yeah. And then she was like, okay, I'm gonna turn into an angel investor. And then now she's yeah. a venture capitalist. And so it's like if we create that sort of cycle of you win. I win, and then we invest in the next generation. We begin to slowly close this uh, racial wealth gap through entrepreneurship. And so it's, 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 a, I want Malik's of the world to be able to, um, 
you know, invest into the next generation that are coming out of RDU that he sees has potential because he's made it so far. And so that's how we get to the point of, um, you know, addressing the, the racial wealth gap in this country. Absolutely. So Shyla, what advice do you have for fellow investors about how they can help level the playing field for underrepresented founders? Be open-minded, right? I mean, I talk to so many entrepreneurs and, and they're not like, I'm not going to, you know, like their company doesn't fit our thesis. They may not be diverse. They may not, you know, the product that is, I may not have the expertise to help them, but I'm still open-minded to listening to them and then, okay, well, let me see who is interested, right? And who I could send you to. And then, you know, like, let's look, figure out a way to remove the biases, right? I understand we all have them when we go into meetings and we start thinking these things about folks. But if we can just remove the biases, some of these checkmark questions that investors tend to ask, either women investors or black investors, like, let's remove that um, bias going into the meeting. And then I just feel like that is sort of a great way to kind of lay, level the playing field. We all have the same interests. We're all trying to find alpha. Right. We're all trying to find it. And it is alpha is is in underrepresented founders if we would just give them the opportunity. So I'm just saying be open minded, you know, and not don't do it for to check a box now, because I I have also talked to um, someone who talked to an investor group, said they were just checking boxes. They had to, you know, make sure that they interviewed so many black founders, so many women founders or Latinx founders. Like, that's not, like, in essence, just don't do that. Like, I, I, that's yeah. not sincere, and that's not what we want. I'm, black founders are not looking for a handout. They work hard for their business. So be sincere in that sort of reach out and connection um, with this group of entre entrepreneurs. And, you know, you kind of spoke to this in terms of, even if it's not the best fit, being willing to do an intro. And feedback is really a gift. And so a lot of times as founders, we need very clear feedback. And I have found in my journey that you don't always get that. And so there it takes a lot of time and effort to schedule these calls, these conversations or pitch competitions or whatever it is. But I think for investors, give very clear, honest feedback so the founder knows what to work on. And if it's just not a good fit, why it's not a good fit. So maybe they don't repeat that same cycle of talking to someone that's very similar. You know, they know how to redirect the time that they have. Absolutely. Yeah. And then give people some grace, right? <laughs> yeah. You mentioned something too. You said in terms of removing the biases and the checklist and the questions, what's an example of some of the questions that can really be a barrier in terms of these conversations that maybe we don't need to focus so much on when we're talking to diverse founders? So I'll tell you the questions that have been asked of me mm -hmm. and that'll just give you an idea. So one question in particular was that once you raise the fund, you're not going to be the black woman VC on the panel anymore. I can like, I'm going to be a black woman, whether I raise this fund or not. So to tell me that I'm going to lose my identity, right. Or I should lose my identity once I reach a certain threshold. Um, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, that was one one question that you know people start asking you about your family and you know what does your family do? What I mean, you know, someone even a founder has said publicly that she's been asked about somebody. Do they have anybody who's in jail? Like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, like, you're actually asking that out loud. And so, wow. um, you know, it's those kind of questions. You know, all right. Someone asking you about your hair, like, oh, the last time I saw you, your hair was another way. Like, what does that have to do with me building the company? It's just a way to get at folks in certain, like, I don't know, like to poke at you, but it has nothing to do with business at hand. And so just being aware of those questions, they're going to come up. But how do you get back to focusing on the company, right? And what's, what, why you're here having this conversation. Mm. I'm so glad that you unpacked that for us because there will be a lot of VCs and angel investors that are listening to this podcast and they might have misstepped in that way before and did not even realize that th those questions are offensive. And so we've all had those experiences where you can tell the person had no, they did, had, did not even have a clue. <laughs> how how inappropriate the question was or the comment was. So thank you for giving some of those examples. Yeah, but not a problem, not a problem. We just got to do better. And then, you know, it's just a lack of, we, you know, it's called cultural competency, right? Absolutely. You have to know that there are certain things that, you know, that are offensive in the Asian community and the Latinx community, even in the white community that we shouldn't say, but people get real comfortable and they just start, you know, um, just throwing out, 
these comments and they're, they just don't add to it, to a, a successful engagement at all. You'd be bothered to beat it by bringing in something that has nothing to do with their business. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to ask this question to both of you. I'll start with you, Shyla, since we're still uh, in the flow. What is the legacy you desire to leave? I would say live and leave because you're already living part of your legacy. I feel like this is my legacy. And then I want to leave it to the next generation of black women, Latinx women, you know, women, period, who can take what I'm doing and move it forward. Right. Those that that are resilient, they, they, they are change makers, they're problem solvers. I want to leave this to them. And then they take it and invest into the next underestimated group of um, entrepreneurs. Um, and so that's the legacy. What I, I, this, I want this to be a legacy fund. I know I can probably only raise up to four because of my age, but I need a team. I'm going to hopefully have a team that comes after me that continues this work on. And so that's what I hope to build in the next few years is that those who will carry on the legacy. And that legacy is a lane playing, level playing field for entrepreneurs and um, wealth creation um, or wealth, uh, closing the wealth gap is part of that legacy. Absolutely. Beautiful. So Malik, same question for you. What is the legacy you desire to live and leave? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I just really want to be a, uh, an inspiration to black founders, particularly in the tech space. Um, I think that's an underrepresented, you know, segment for us. I mean, a lot of times similar, you know, with the fastest mile or even the presidency is once you see it, as we saw at Calendly, you know, it becomes a real reality. Absolutely. And, um, you know, so I, you know, I hope to, to lead by example and, um, you know, founders will see, okay, if he can do it, why not, why not I, and, uh, remove their own biases that they hold against themselves and overcome their circumstances to be successful. Absolutely. The, uh, magnitude of seeing it done, Mm -hmm. you know, from people that look like you, there's, no greater inspiration, I believe, um, and being able to see, you know, people walking out their vision and manifesting their dreams and their goals and desires. And they, and they look like you, I mean, and it's very powerful. So I love that. So what advice would you give your younger founder self? (laughs) You're you're pretty young already, but what, what advice would you give your younger founder self regarding entrepreneurship and fundraising? Absolutely. Uh, it's hard for everyone. You know, it's not hard because you're black. It's hard for everyone, you know, so lean into that um, and and be consistent, you know, uh, and understand that things are going to take much longer than you want them to. But that's OK. You your job is to force the initiative, push it and you know, make it happen sooner and not be complacent. You know, when it comes to fundraising, I think it's very easy to accept the biases and the, you know, the, the what's said about how difficult it is. And if you allow those those uh, those sentiments to control you or to influence your uh, willingness to go and raise it, you'll fail every time. Yeah. You know, so uh, advice I give uh, I'd give to founders, black founders looking to raise capital is why not you? You know, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Go out there and do it. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of seeing so many that have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's still a huge gap and there's still so much more to do. But when you see those that have and you especially know them and meet them, you see, why not you? So I love that. So tell us what's next in terms of your fundraising journey. Absolutely. So we raised our uh, $765,000 pre-seed earlier this year. Uh, Right now, what we're focused on is our seed round, raising that at a $3.2 million round. And what we want to do with that is we want to work with VCs. Um, but also the community, you know, yeah. so there's a um, uh, an emerging funding channel and in, in crowdfunding regulation uh, CF yeah. um, that a lot of founders are leaning into, you know, yeah. and uh, Shyla's invested in a couple companies herself that took that route. Yeah. The way we see it as, you know, we need to democratize investing, you know, so yeah. you talked about, OK, what's the transition from founder um, to, you know, uh, to investor and then eventually VC. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that starts in reducing the barriers to entry mm-hmm. with crowdfunding, you can invest for as little as a hundred dollars mm-hmm. and it opens up that opportunity. I can get involved with a company that could be the next Google or could be a next Nike or whatever the case may be. And I can get involved at the early stages. Yes. Um, you know, so we hope to be able to, to, you know, successfully raise that round and um, work with uh, venture partners that are, uh, you know, open to crowdfunding and bringing community into the deals and, um, and hopefully giving back and allowing them to be, successful investors. Beautiful. And that next phase of raising, will that all be on a crowdfunding platform or will it be like a side by side? 
Uh, it'll likely be a side by side. Uh, it'll open up in October. You know, so we'll we'll have a, a segment of the round allocated towards the crowdfund, um, but we'll raise the the venture commits beforehand. So it'll kind of be in parallel. Yeah. Uh, ideally, we get the venture uh, capital to come in on the actual crowdfund yeah. on the round. Yeah. Um, but you know, we'll just see how conversations go. I love the strategy. I'm, I'm following one very similar. <laughs> so I love it. So Malik, as we've talked about just how challenging this journey is, and we know is just par for the course, self-care and wellness is so important uh, because as founders, you know, we disproportionately are affected by the levels of stress and how it shows up in our mental health, our physical health and overall well-being. Um, so tell me, what do you do for your self-care uh, and your wellness? Uh, it's, it's probably not healthy. Try not to think about it, but no. <laughs> uh, you know, in the mornings, I, I like to do a little bit of meditation. You know, I'm only doing five minutes or so. Probably could do more, but, um, you know, it's primarily just trying to find that peace wherever, even if it's for a short fleeting moment. Um, finding that piece. Fitness uh, is a big part as well, you know, yeah. so I'm working out daily to get those energy levels up and distract myself from the day-to-day. Those are the primary things. I'm, I'm absolutely open to hearing, you know, more about um, some uh, activities or habits that I can build uh, to improve that um, and, and take awareness to it. Wonderful. Well, Utopia Spawn Global Wellness has some wonderful solutions for you and your team in terms of live and on-demand digital wellness offering. So we'll talk about it. Love to hear it. All right. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you'd like the listeners to know? Um, and also, how can they find you? Absolutely. If you're an e-commerce business or thinking about e-commerce, please do find us at simplyworks with two eyes.io. Uh, we'll help you get on Amazon. We'll help you scale, uh, taking companies from zero to hero and you know, in less than 12 months. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Malik McCray, and you can find SimpleWorks there as well, as well as on Instagram. Malik McRae from Simply Works, which you can find at simplyworks.io. That's simply with two eyes, works.io. And Shyla Nieves Bernie from Zane Venture Fund, which you can find at zane.vc. Thank you for listening to the Equity Raise podcast from the American Underground in Durham, North Carolina. If you like this show, please rate, review, and share with your networks. We want to spread the word that although VC funding goes to a small fraction of women and people of color, it does not have to be this way. So we'll continue these conversations to make a change. This podcast was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Naya Fela Powell. Make it a utopian day. Mm